It is the first book of the New Testament, the last chapter of that book. We will pick it up in verse 16 of Matthew 28. Then the eleven went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, as we take some time to consider your word tonight, I pray that you'd speak to our heart. I pray you'd encourage us. But Lord, most of all, I pray you'd help us to understand what this great commission really means and how we who, since this summer, have been learning how to be a disciple. And Father, we would understand this great commission is for us as well. And we would go forth, Lord. We would go forth, Lord, in the power that you have given us for the mission that you have called us to. I thank you for every person that is here tonight. I pray that you would encourage them with your truth. And we pray that in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> Why don't you take a seat? We are in Matthew chapter 28. And uh, ever since summer, we've been working our way through a series I've entitled Being Discipled by Jesus. A series where we're looking at those passages of Scripture and if, you, if you're tired of hearing this, this is the last time, so you can make it through one more time. Next week, you're gonna be sad. You're gonna be like, well, just say, just say, just, just say that one more time. I wanna hear that phrase again, the culture and community in which God has placed you. Anyways, that aside, for a whole six months now, we've been looking at this series where Jesus pulled aside, not the multitudes, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, not sinners. Well, they were sinners, but they were his disciples, And he poured into them things that they would need to change the world around them, starting early in Jesus' ministry with the Sermon on the Mount as he told them, hey, get on that narrow road, walk in it, be salt and light, what? In the culture and the community in which God has placed you. We looked at the middle of Jesus' ministry from Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus took multiple groups of disciples, lots of disciples, and narrowed them down to 12 that we think of as the apostles. And he told them, hey, serving me isn't always gonna be easy. There's going to be days when you have to do what? Take up your cross and follow me. If someone told you that following Jesus was always going to be easy, guess what? They lied to you. It is not always easy. It's difficult to get up and say, Lord, I'm going to bear this cross for you. I'm going to follow you no matter what. But that's reality, friends. Then we spent six weeks looking at John 13 through 17. Jesus' last words to his disciples before he was betrayed and crucified. And we saw six secrets to life and ministry. And finally, we spent three weeks looking at the longest answer Jesus ever gave to one single question. Asked by a disciple or not, but it was asked by his disciples. They said, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 gives them the answer to those questions and important stuff dealing with prophecy but not just prophecy what you and I are supposed to do with the reality that Jesus is coming again and of course all of these studies like everything we do here at Calvary Chapel Vista they're all online and available for you if you miss those you can go back and study them together but tonight we are going to wrap up the series here in Matthew 28 
And uh, if you look at the text again, basically, there will be a couple more things that Jesus will share with his disciples. But he's giving them final instructions. He's telling them, I'm going away again. And to them, this created some uneasiness in them. They had just gotten him back. He had just been crucified and rose again, and now they had him back. And now he's leaving again. And they're kind of thinking, well, why are we still here? Why are we being left? It's always weird to get left. You ever been left somewhere? I remember when I was in the seventh grade. Seventh grade, you know, my parents and grandparents would take turns picking me up, my mom and then my grandparents. And as sometimes would do, sometimes their, 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 their signals would get crossed. And I remember one evening in particular, man, you know, I was waiting outside and 30 minutes rolled by and that was normal for my family. I mean, within 30 minutes was on time. But, but then we were an hour late, two hours. The kids that needed to stay for extra help, they were leaving. Kids who just wanted to hang out with teachers were leaving. Pretty soon the teachers were leaving. And this is the day before cell phones. It wasn't like I was a junior higher sporting my cell phone. The cell phones then were about as big as backpacks. You remember those? Anyways, I didn't have one of those. Didn't have, a ch- didn't have any change for a pay phone. So I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to die at junior high. What's going on? It was about five o'clock that one of them called the other and said, hey, you know, I'm ready for having to come over. And it's like, what? So anyways, they, they picked me up. But it was a long time. I wonder, why am I being left? And here's the disciples thinking the same thing. Why, not, why am I being left? Why don't you just take us to heaven? Why don't you just start your kingdom? Why am I being left in this world? And so Jesus in these verses is going to explain to them exactly why and what he had for them before he was going to take them home. And that's why we need to hear this. Oh, I wish we would just go right to heaven. The minute we say, Lord, come into my heart, come into my my soul, wash me, cleanse me, bam, right into glory. That'd be great. But instead, there's a job for you and I to do. What is that job? It's that we we need to tune in our spiritual ears tonight so we can hear God's exhortation to us. Before we even get there, though, look back at verse 16. And I want to show you some context to the Great Commission. It says, then the 11 disciples, remember Judas is already gone at this point, so we're down to 11. The 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. The first thing I want you to note, friends, is that these instructions, this great commission, was given to the disciples after they obeyed. Jesus said, go to Galilee. And once they went to Galilee, Jesus gave them these important instructions. He had told them over and over again, I've risen from the dead, now go to Galilee and Jesus will meet you there. Over and over again, go to Galilee, go to Galilee, go to Galilee. And some of the disciples must have thought, well, why not meet us here in Jerusalem? I mean, we're in Jerusalem. You raised from the dead in Jerusalem. Isn't it a lot more efficient to meet in Jerusalem? Why walk three days? I mean, you realize it wasn't just like the Highway Express. They didn't just hop on a plane. It was a three-day walk to get back to Galilee. Why not just meet here? Why not meet in Jerusalem? But once they obeyed, God gave them the instructions. And that is so telling to you and I. Sometimes we wonder, God, why when I, I, I hear Pastor Rob or, or, or you, Pastor Jason, talk about God speaking to you and ministering to you, but for me it just seems like things are so dry. Why is that? Well, maybe it's because God is trying to teach you to walk by faith and not by sight. That certainly happens in seasons in our lives. But sometimes, maybe, God's already told you what to do. God's already given you a direction in your life and you want to know why I don't have anything more. The question is, why didn't you obey in the first place? 
why didn't you use what you already had? Reminds me of my grandma before she went home to be with Jesus. About the year 2005, she was living with us out in Texas. And she decided she was going to enter the digital age. She was buying a CD player. (laughs) Now, all of us had moved on to MP3s and downloaded music, but she was ready to get tech savvy. So she bought herself a CD player. But I thought this is great because it will help out with Christmas and birthday presents. So I said to her, would would you like some CDs for that CD player? You know, you got to put something in there before it's going to make music. And she said, oh, that'd be great. So I said, what kind of music would you like? And she said, well, the stuff we sing in church. So I got her some Matt Redman CDs and some Chris Tomlin CDs. And said, yeah, these are great. These are the songs we sing in church. And, and, and I gave them to her for her birthday, gave them to her for Christmas. And went in a, you know, her room a little bit, you know, late, well, not like, like waited for months. But I was in her room and I noticed there were the CDs still sitting in the plastic. And I said, well, yeah, maybe she doesn't know how to open them. So I said, here, let me show you. And I, and I um, it's a beautiful pulpit we got here. But anyways, um, I said, let me help you open those things. And I took the plastic off of them and, and, uh, and, and put them in. I showed her again. It's kind of like a record, but it's smaller, but no, you know, things. So you just put it in there and put it in. It's going to make music. It's going to be wonderful. And, and, and you know, she said, oh, thank you, thank you. And, and yet then I, I went back in and, and the rest of them weren't opened or playing. And, and you know, so I mean, whatever. But then the next Christmas, I said to her, so what do you want for Christmas this year? And she goes, oh, more CDs. I didn't say anything because it's kind of a rule. You don't yell at grandmas. I mean, that's just a rule. That should be like the 11th commandment. Thou shall not yell at grandmas. But anyways, amen. Preach it, grandma. But anyways, the reality is, is that you don't do that. But I was thinking, why? Why would I get you more CDs when you haven't used the ones I got you in the first place? I asked you what kind of music. I told you you want to get other ones. If you're not going to use it, why would I get you any more? And I just wonder sometimes, we say to the Lord, God, why aren't you speaking to me? Why aren't you giving me more direction? We want to say, Lord, speak to me and then I'll obey. God says, you obey and then I'll speak to you. You obey and then I'm going to give you step two. Then I'm going to tell you what to do next. You obey and then will come more instruction. These disciples got the Great Commission after they obeyed and went to Galilee. The second thing I want you to note is in this group were mixed emotions. Certainly it says some were worshiping, some were pouring out their hearts, oh, we're so good for us to be here. Thank you, Lord. What do you want us to do in our lives? But it said others doubted. Others didn't quite understand what was going on, what was happening, why was he leaving? What is we gonna do? What about the kingdom? And I also want you to see that because some of us mistakenly think that the Great Commission is only for the super saints, only for people like Danny and Michelle Williamson who are going to Argentina. Oh, they need to know the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. Oh, that's for pastors and worship leaders and children's ministry workers. They're, they're the ones that need the Great Commission. But, but not me. I'm just Bob. I'm just Joel. I, I, don't, I don't have any, anything to be involved in. I, I, I kind of have times where I doubt the Lord, you might say. I have times when I'm not walking real strong for the Lord. So this commission isn't for me. Wrong, precious one. This is for all of us tonight that want to follow the Lord, that are named by His name. It's for every single one of us tonight, this great commission. So what is it? What is it that God has for every single one of us tonight? Well, three key words to write down if you're taking notes. Three key words to write down. The first one is the word authority. 
The first thing Jesus explains is authority. Look at me back in chapter, uh, chapter 28, verse 18. It says, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me on heaven or in heaven and on earth. Guys, the word authority means power. And as you read through the gospels, one that will, anybody that reads the gospels, comes away with an understanding that Jesus had power. He had power in his preaching. He had power over unclean spirits. He had power to heal the sick. Please, Jesus. He had power to forgive sins. He had power, power, power in every area of life. And Jesus says, look, you know I've got this authority. I have this power. And you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about what I'm calling you to do. You don't have to worry about the persecution that's going to come your way because I have the authority and now I am giving it to you. You have the authority. And friends, this can make us go forth with confidence. Again, reminds me of junior high. Some back in junior high stories tonight. We couldn't go off campus on our junior high. We were not allowed, and rightfully so. We're what, 10, 11, 12 years old? Probably shouldn't be running across a busy highway. But we were not allowed to, we we thought the rules stunk. But we couldn't go off campus. And to make things worse, there was an El Pollo Loco right across, right across the street. And that smell of that crazy chicken would come flowing over to us. And so we would strategize. We were naughty. We would strategize. We would, we would look, wait for the you know, lunch authorities to not be looking and we would dart across the street and then you know, un- undoubtedly what would normally happen is you know, all of a sudden we'd hear, hey, get back here, kids, oh, you know, and we'd start running and going different directions. We were afraid. Mr. Fuller, I can still remember his name, was the principal. This guy had a paddle hanging above his desk and this was still back in the day. I'm not that old, but junior high was back in the day for me. And they had a paddle and they were allowed to spank the living daylights out of you even without calling your parents back then. And Mr. Fuller, I think he enjoyed it. So we were afraid. And so, you know, we'd hear someone yelling and we'd duck and jump into bushes and one kid would get caught and we're like, thanks for being the scapegoat, bro. And we'd, you know, hurry back into campus like, what? We weren't off campus. And my son's here tonight. Don't ever do that, Jonathan. That's, that is bad, bad stuff. I don't make you become a pastor or something as penance. But anyways, the reality is, the reality is, we would try and we never had the thought, but there's one day, I got this note from one of the youth pastors. It was a, a Baptist school connected to a Baptist church and he, he said, hey, I, I want to meet you at lunch at El Pollo Loco. So here is my invitation and here is an off-campus permission slip. I was like, booyah, here we go. Oh yeah, so I, I, you know, I put it subtly in my jacket because what I wanted to have happen was for me to walk out of the street and have Mr. Fuller go, hey, get back here. I'm like, oh no, 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 no. I got the note. No, no. But you know what happened? No one was out that day. I was so bummed. I was so bummed. I walked across the street going, seriously? Today of all days? Because I had the authority. I wasn't afraid of the authorities because I had the authority. And friends, I want you to hear this. Sometimes we think, I can't serve the Lord. I can't do what He's calling me to do. I can't accomplish great things for God. I'm not that great. God would say, I know that. But the God you serve is. 
and he's called you to great things and more than that. He's given you authority to accomplish these things. And you can go forth knowing whatever stands in your way, whatever persecution comes, Jesus himself has given you who consider yourselves disciples authority to accomplish his will. He's given us his authority. Now, secondly, the second word to write down starts with the letter A, like at Sesame Street here tonight. And that would be activity. Not only do we have authority, but he's also given us an activity to do. Look at verse 19. What do we do with this authority? Verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What do we do with the authority God has given us? Some people think it's the first word in the sentence that we're just supposed to go. Just go, just go. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you're involved in. You just go. Oh, drink break. I don't normally have time for those. I talk so fast. That's amazing. But friends, going isn't the activity. The word go is not a command. It's a present participle. It could be translated as you are going. Jesus is describing the activity happening as you and I are going. The great commission is to make disciples. And that happens as we are going, as we are going through life. As Pastor Rob teaches us, I think this is so important for you to understand. If you haven't gotten it yet, get it tonight. God has given to every single one of us spheres of influence in our lives. And a church, any church that's healthy, needs to understand the importance of missions. Now put your thinking caps on here tonight. Missions, I define personally, I don't know if this is technical or not, but it works for me. Missions, I define, go ahead and put it up there on the screen, as intentionally leaving your sphere of influence in order to make disciples. You intentionally leave your sphere of influence to go intentionally make disciples. In other words, you intentionally leave North County, San Diego, and your job and and, and the hobbies you have, and you intentionally go to Costa Rica, Italy, Argentina, Israel to intentionally make disciples. And friends, I love missions. Missions is one of the reasons that my heart has always loved this church. And I think a healthy church should always be involved in missions. But listen, beyond missions, I think every one of us should actually live missionally. Now a definition for that. Remember, missions is to intentionally leave your sphere of influence in order to make disciples. Living missionally is to intentionally go into your sphere of influence to intentionally make disciples. Do you see the difference? Instead of intentionally leaving, if that's what God's calling you to do, excellent. You obey what God's calling you to do. 
But every one of us is called to live missionally. To intentionally go into those spheres of influence to intentionally make disciples. Let me explain what I mean. God has given us in this church, again, natural spheres of influence. He's given you associations through your kids, through sports you play, through where you work, through your hobbies. And I want you to see that God has placed you there on purpose. It's not just to draw a paycheck or to have your kids learn karate or for you to play a round of golf. God has put you naturally there in those things so as you are going, you can make disciples. And I think it should work out something like this. You know, maybe you look across the room and you say, hey, that guy over there, I think he works where I work. I I, I think we go to the same school. I I think we're involved in, 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 in the same, you know, group down at the Y or wherever it is. And you say, hey, how about every once in a while we get together and pray. God, how would you want us to reach this sphere of influence in which you have placed us? How do you want us to go into that school? How do you want us to go into that workplace? How do you want us to go into these things and intentionally make disciples? A friend of mine was telling me about this church up in, uh, up in the Portland area where the home fellowships just grabbed onto this. Where they said, hey, hey, look, look, we know we've got two or three spheres of influence just naturally here at, the, at our home fellowships. So let's take time to not just study and do the Bible study thing, which is so important, but let's also pray together, God, how can we reach into these medical centers that some of them were working at? How can we go into these schools that some of us go to and intentionally make disciples? And what they found is just two or three of them started to get together and pray, God, help us intentionally go into those spheres. And three turned into 19 families at the home fellowship and it translated into hundreds coming to their church because they said, God, I just want to go where you sent me. I just want to go where I'm naturally going and do what you're calling me to do. It's as we're going. Now, what do we do? What do we do? What is the activity? It's not going. You certainly talked about it enough for that not being the activity. It's important to go. But the activity, friends, is to make disciples. To make disciples. That's the activity. The word disciple is an interesting one. It doesn't come from a Christian background like so many of us assume. Like Jesus like made up the word. What should I call you guys? Sometimes you're awesome and sometimes you're bums. What should I call you? I know, disciples. That sounds good. What's that? Let me explain it to you. That's not how the word originated. The word originally comes from Greek philosophy. A man by the name of Plato developed a theory on how nature worked. Matter is bad, spirit good. And in order to spread this theory, he trained young men in his thinking. He called them learners, or mafetots, or or in English, disciples. And there, one of his disciples was a man by the name of Aristotle. And he took Plato's thoughts, and he organized them, and he built schools to train generations of young people. He called these schools academias. And these academias developed by Aristotle the learner was used to bring about the Hellenization of the world. So when Rome took over, you historians know this, when Rome took over, they ruled militarily, but they never truly ruled culturally because the disciples of Plato and Aristotle had infiltrated every part of society. Doctors, lawyers, painters, teachers, everyone had been influenced by these disciples. And Jesus and the Christians picked up this term and said, that's what we have to do. 
There's a philosophy far better than Greek philosophy. There's a philosophy far better than the Romans had. It's a world-changing philosophy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus poured in these 11 men and he says, what I want you to do is do the same thing I have done with you to go out and make disciples. And don't misunderstand me. Making a disciple doesn't mean you go out and make a little you. You I want people to think like me, talk like me, look like me, like what I like. No, that's not the point. That's not what making a disciple is. You're not to go, I'm not to go out and make little Jasons. That'd be hard to do. I'm little as it is. If I made a little Jason, imagine what that guy'd be like. Anyways, that's not what we're called to do. We're we're called to go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ. To help people fall in love with Jesus Christ. Now the question still remains though, how? How do we make disciples? Well, the imperative verb, the activity, is make disciples. It's surrounded, though, by three participles. You say, ah, this is starting to sound a little bit like school tonight. Some of that stuff you learn in school is important. And here's why. This main activity surrounded by three participles, what it means is these participles are how you make disciples. In in, in the Greek language, it's how you get the activity done. And the three participles are go, baptize, and teach. How do we make disciples? We go, we baptize, we teach. It starts by going. Going means don't stay. Any language, Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew, Pig Latin, go always means go. It means don't stay. Go, go. Of course we mean it means as you are going, but it doesn't mean you have to plan a trip to India. If that's what God's calling you to do, fine. But you have to get out of the pew or chair tonight. You've got to decide that I'm going to intentionally go into the sphere of influence in which God has placed me. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to go. You know, I've learned that owning a gym membership doesn't guarantee physical fitness. I wish it did. I wish you just pay your gym dues and then you can eat whatever you want and still look like a Greek god. That would be a great system. I'd be okay with that because I can afford the, the small payment it is to be a member at the gym. Problem? That's not how it works. You got to pay that membership and then you really got to pay. <laughs> you got to go. You got to sweat. And you have to eat right. And that's not fun. Hence... Anyways, the reality is you can't just own it. You have to go. And same thing, if I'm going to be involved in disciple making, I've got to go, Lord, intentionally give me, give me the strength, give me the authority, give me the passion, break my heart as we were talking about last week. Break my heart for something greater than myself. Help me to go, Lord. And then, secondly, baptize. I'm to go and then I'm to baptize. Now, What does that mean? Personally, I don't think it means we have to go around getting people wet. Like you got to carry around a bucket of water, look people in the eye and say, I'm concerned for your salvation. (laughs) Concerned you are not baptized. You know, and then I should not reference Nacho Libre from the pulpit. Never a good idea. And with my voice, I can't even do a good imitation tonight. Like, who was that? I don't know. Move on. It's not important. 
But that's not what God wants. We don't carry around this bucket and come here. Oh, now you're in the kingdom. No. When it says baptize in, it's the Greek word EIS. It primarily means into. Baptism represents what's happened inwardly. So I believe and scholars agree that what's referred to here is bringing people to Christ. Baptizing them into the body of Christ. Sharing with them the gospel. And what is the gospel? Everybody's talking about the gospel today. What is the gospel? It's the good news. What does that mean? It means that you're a sinner. And that apart from Jesus Christ, you're not going to heaven. That you need to repent and turn from your sin and surrender to the work that he's doing in your life and you need to do it now. That's the gospel. You are lost without Jesus, but good news, he paid your price on the cross of Calvary. I hope you understand that, friends, because it is that gospel that God is calling us to share with people. I share that with you. That should be a no-brainer, but I think we've settled as a Christian culture in just getting people to be morally good. Oh, if they're good, if they say their prayers... If they, if they show up to church every once in a while, if they occasionally read a verse, well, hey, they're good, they're okay. Friends, you know this. They're not okay. Being morally good isn't okay. Coming to church every once in a while or even perfect attendance, that isn't good enough. You need to be saved You need to have a heart committed to Jesus Christ. You need to be saved by the blood. And it's not a popular message today. It's not popular to say that, but it's that your friends and coworkers and loved ones, it's that they need to hear. I don't mean we have to be pushy and rude, but you need to tell them the truth. We need to share with them the gospel because it's the only way by which they're going to be saved. We go, intentionally go into these spheres of influence. We baptize, we share the gospel, bringing people, baptizing them into the body of Christ. The third thing Jesus tells us to do in order to make disciples is to teach them. To teach them. Now teach them what? Teach them your philosophy on life. Teach them American Christianity. Oh no. You teach them the word. You teach them the word. Listen, I love, I'm a connoisseur of study tapes. I love to listen to Bible studies and Bible messages. So good. I I, I love to read books about the Bible that challenge me in theology and just encourage me and devotion. I mean, I, I love anything and everything you can find, almost, almost, I should clarify that. Almost everything you can find in a Christian bookstore, if I had the time, I'd read it all. I, I love that kind of stuff. But I am fully convinced that there's one thing and one thing only that will not return void. There's one thing better than anything else that will disciple and grow you and mature you as a Christian, and that is This book right here. This book right here. It's why as long as Pastor Rob and I are breathing, (laughs) we will never stop going through the scriptures. 
here at Calvary Vista. Never. In fact, one of the things that makes me so excited about next year is, you know, God's been putting things on my heart to share, to kind of, to be quite honest, balancing what I'm doing in Paris and, and things that I'm doing here and sharing very similar studies. What I'm excited about next year is going through books here on Wednesday night. Going through books of the Bible together and studying through the Word. Not that we're not doing that here tonight. We are, technically. But doing what we love to do. Starting in verse 1 and not stop until we're done. Going through the Bible. Because this is how you and I grow as believers. But get this, friends. When Jesus said, teach them, I do think he meant there's a time to teach them the Bible. I do think that. Jesus did preach sermons. We've gone over some of them in this study. The Sermon on the Mount was a sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> John 13 through 17 is a sermon. Matthew 24, 25, it's a sermon. Jesus sat down and taught them from the scriptures. It was a Bible study. But the most teaching Jesus did was as he lived among them. And you see this principle lived out in any great spiritual leader. You take the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 20, when Paul is gathering the Ephesians elders together, Acts chapter 20, he says, he says to them, you know how I lived among you. You know how this life that I lived out in front of you. Paul lived Christianity out in front of those he was called to minister with, to minister to. There was relationship with them. And friends, don't miss that. To make disciples, I need to go. I need to, I need to be able to share the gospel and baptize them into the body of Christ. But I also need to teach them the word, yes, as I get opportunities to share from this book, but also by the way I live my life. As I live out Christianity right in front of them, intentionally making disciples. Jesus says, I've got a plan for you. I want you to go into your sphere of influence and make disciples by sharing the gospel and teaching them the word of God. I've given you this authority and finally, last A for tonight, he's given us authority, he's called us to an activity, preach the, make disciples. But thirdly tonight, I want to talk about Ability. Jesus says in verse 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you, Jesus says. Oh, how that comforts my heart. I'm with you. You know, I've uh, shared with you guys before that uh, I was uh, college roommates with Jeremy Camp. And then as many of you know him, we came and served here together here at Calvary Vista in the early days. He led worship for Junior High Bible at one time at Calvary Christian here. The world famous Jeremy Camp, seventh grade worship leader. <laughs> Anyways, I thought that was funny. But um, thanks for that courtesy laugh. It's awesome. Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate that. But Jeremy, if you, if you know or have seen him, his arms are massive. They're massive. They, 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 I mean, his arm is the size of my leg. And maybe bigger. <laughs> and and, and, and as, as he would look at me, you know, we're Bible college me, he goes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you buff. I'm like, oh, okay. So we go to the on-campus gym and he'd you know, throw weights on the bar and he'd say, all right, lift that weight. And of course, I'd be down going, ah, 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 
And he'd say, oh, and he'd take a couple plates off and, okay, now. You know, and he, a couple more plates off. and Finally, the bar. I'm like, yes, I can do this. I can do this. But the whole time I wasn't worried. Why? Because those massive arms were always right there. Just like, try, try. But don't worry. I got it. I got it. I got it. And, and I'd fail. And he'd, and he'd lift it up and take off the bananas. He'd put it down like, and he'd, go, and he'd lift it up with his arms and take off the bananas. And I was never afraid because those arms, they were there. <laughs> I need my voice. This is far more dramatic on Sunday morning. <laughs> why I can't talk anymore. Jesus is there for you every step of the way. I know it's scary to say, be a disciple. Die to self, take up my cross, live for the kingdom, live for something greater than myself. That's scary. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I want to. Friends, it is your commission as a disciple. I'll end with this. I kind of shared it a little bit last week, but God's just doing some huge things in my heart personally right now. And, you know, and as I shared with you last week, you know, he's just really challenging me to, to really pray and intercede. Not just to pray for my food and to, pray for a few minutes during devotions or pray for my kids as they sleep in their bed. All that's good stuff. But to really really pray that number one, God would break my heart for North County. He'd break my heart for the kids that are going to school right over the hill there. Many of them lost without Jesus. That God would break my heart for you guys even in a deeper way. Because I know we say things like prayer changes things. Prayer is powerful. But here's what God's challenging me. I'm not just trying to call you out tonight. Do we really believe that? We say, yes. Enough to actually do it? Because you know, sometimes we we can almost talk our way out of the importance of prayer. I've said this, I've taught this. In fact, probably during this series when we looked at Matthew chapter six. I've said, you know, prayer is not getting our will done on earth, but it's getting his will done on earth. That's not what I meant to say, but you know what I mean. It's not getting our will done on heaven, it's getting his will done on earth. That's correct. (laughs) And that's absolutely true. There's nothing wrong with that statement. But we somehow then, somehow trick ourselves into thinking that the prayer doesn't actually change things. That God's will is going to be done. But when I open up the pages of this book, there are times when God is moved by prayer. What about Exodus 32? The children of Israel are there in front of Mount Sinai. And they're crying out, Lord, whatever you tell us to do, we'll do it. Yeah, totally, bro. He didn't say bro. Totally God. We'll do it. And Moses is up there receiving the Ten Commandments. And what's going on at the camp? Oh, we need a golden calf. Aaron, make us a golden calf. Aaron makes the calf. They're bowing down. 
And, and the scripture's implicit. They're doing other things. They're doing some wicked stuff around that golden calf. And as Moses coming down the mountain, there's Joshua praying, interceding on the mountain. He's like, Moses, hey Mo, the sound of, there's a sound of war in the camp. Moses says, that ain't the sound of war. It's the sound of hoodlums down there. And he goes down, but, but the point is this. Do you remember what God said to Moses? He said, Moses, get out of the way. Get out of the way, Moses. I am going to strike these people down and I'm going to start over with you, Moses. You're my man. You're my servant. I'm going to start over with you. Get out of my way. I have every justifiable right to wipe these people off the map and God did. Here they declared, we will do whatever you say, God, and in less than a month, they're losing their minds. But do you remember what Moses did? He fell on his face and began to intercede. God, God, no. You made promises to Abraham. You made promises to Isaac. You made promises to Jacob. Your character is unspoiled. You're not going to ruin it on us. Lord, if you have to wipe someone out, wipe me out. But be gracious, be merciful to your people. And then the Bible says something that that should bother us. It really should. It says that God repented from the evil that he was going to do to the people. Repented? What? God repented? Well, you well-taught Bible students know that what's happening there is the Bible's using a word, a human word, for us to understand, sort of understand what God is doing. He's not really repenting as if he's done something wrong and he's like, oh, you're right, Mo, I'm sorry. He's turning from something, which is the word repent means to stop, to turn, and go in the opposite direction. He's not repenting of sin. He had every right to destroy those people. But he goes in the opposite direction. And of course, theologians say that who put that that, that thought in Moses' heart? Who made him intercede? Well, it was God, absolutely. But for you one-year Bible people, it was just a few weeks ago, we were in Ezekiel. And then you were so glad when you got to Daniel. (laughs) Ezekiel, Ezekiel can be tough. What's going on? Some crazy stuff happening in Ezekiel. But God just floored me in chapter 22. Because in chapter 22, compare it with what happened in Exodus 32. God says, Ezekiel, I'm judging Jerusalem. I'm judging them. They're going into captivity. And then it says this. And I sought for a man to stand in the gap. But I could not find one. And Jerusalem was judged. That's heavy to me. God wanted, obviously, to be merciful in the book of Exodus. And Moses was there to be the man standing in the gap. And God went in the opposite direction and poured out mercy. And I don't know what the end result would have been, but God was looking for one man, one man in Jerusalem to say, God, I care about more than myself. I want to intercede for my people. I want to pray that you pour out your spirit. I want to pray that you do. He was looking for a disciple in Jerusalem and he couldn't find one. And my prayer for us as a church I pray that God would find 10 men 
who would be willing to say, I don't want to just play church and just do religious stuff. I want to hate sin and love God and stand in the gap for my church, for my community, for my family. I'm praying that God would raise up 10 women who would hate sin and love God and say, I'm standing in the gap. I'm not here just to do religious stuff. I'm going to stand and be real in my walk with God and be a disciple. I'm praying for 10 young men or women who are willing to infiltrate that sphere of influence at their school and in that pit of darkness they are, they are going to day after day. They're willing to say, God, I am willing I'm willing to stand up in the gap for Vista High. I'm willing to stand in the gap for Rancho. I'm willing to stand in the gap for Palomar and and Miracosta. I'm willing to stand in the gap for this church that I love. I'm willing to stand in the gap for my family that needs Jesus. I'm ready to be your disciple. Friends, it won't be easy. We don't have the tools or the ability, but God says to you, as he said to the disciples 2,000 years ago, I am with you and that's a promise I'm with you so we can go forth into the culture and the community and the church family and be disciples be the men and women that God is truly calling us to be he's with us he as we looked at last week has empowered us by his Holy Spirit. So it's time for us to say, amen, I will go. I will stand in the gap. And this church has way over a thousand people. I hope we can find 10. 11 men changed the world for Jesus Christ. 11 Father, I pray you'd prick our hearts. I pray we we wouldn't just be able to hear Bible studies and then go our way. But Lord, you would affect us with your word. That God, we would understand that you have given us authority. You've given us something to do to make disciples by going and sharing the gospel and living the word out in front of people. And so, Lord, I pray on this last night of our being discipled by Jesus that, God, we would hear your great commission now. And as we, when this series began, just committed ourselves to being your disciples, Lord, once again tonight, we do the same. I pray that there'd be way more than 10, but that many here tonight would say, I'm ready. I'm ready to put aside the hypocrisy and the Christianity for show. I want to be a disciple. I want to stand in the gap. Because the reality is our country Our culture, our community, it deserves judgment. It really does. 
But Lord, we pray you'd be merciful. We pray you'd pour out your spirit one last time, one last great revival before you claim your bride. But I know that's your heart. But as you said in your gospels, would the Son of Man find faith when he returns to the earth? I pray, pray, Lord, you'd see it tonight. You'd see men, you'd see women, you'd see young people and old people, and everything in between. Just saying, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to stand in the gap and be your disciple. Do this work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together. There'll be men and women up front that would love to pray with you for any reason tonight. Maybe you have a realization that you're not walking with Jesus. You've been good and moral. You come to church. But you're still lost in your sins. And friend, we love you. But good and moral isn't going to cut it. You need to be saved. That's the honest truth because we love you. So maybe some of you need to come forward tonight and just say, hey, I need to give my life to Christ. Please do. Most of us, though, you're on a Wednesday night. You know Jesus. But you need prayer. Just going through it, struggles, hurts. These, these men and women would love to pray for you tonight for whatever's going on in your heart and life. Next week, we're gonna look at how to get the most out of reading your Bible. A question Pastor Rob and I get asked all the time is, it seems like when you guys teach, the Bible just comes alive and then I read it and that doesn't happen. How do you guys see stuff in the Bible? How, how does God speak to you through the word? Well, next Wednesday night, we're gonna look at that and see that and examine as we go into a new year and I'm gonna encourage you and exhort you to be men and women of the word in 2012. But how can you do that and get the most out of it? Next week, we'll look at that and then two weeks from tonight, we're gonna take a Wednesday night and just wait upon the Lord the whole time. Just worship and pray, seek his face, close out this year and say, Lord, we need you for the mission you've called us to.